from Real FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode 43, recorded May 1st, 2023. I am your master of ceremonies, as always, Jason Snell. And with me, unusually, <laughs> is Tim Goodman, former TV critic at the Chronicle and the Examiner in San Francisco and at the Hollywood Reporter. He was chief TV critic. He co-hosted an iteration of the TV Talk Machine podcast with me for several years. And he is a substacker now among many other things. Hi, Tim. Hey, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, thank you for joining me on the podcast that I had to make because you <laughs> quit being a TV critic. And so I had to do something else. It, it does feel familiar. I'm going to mm. try to remember this. We did this hundreds and hundreds of hundreds times. of times. And my son would come back from high school and open the garage door and we'd have to stop recording. Yeah. Yeah. Good but, times. But then mm-hmm. then you. Uh, so for people who, who don't know. Um, you, you left the Hollywood reporter and, um, went off to write, uh, for TV. Uh, and now, now you are also, uh, back writing about TV and existentialism and wine and other things at (laughs) timgoodman.substack.com, uh, which I am a subscriber. People should check it out for sure. Um, and and in fact, Julia should check it out because you're, you're breaking down succession. Um, she is tightly attuned to i'm not i have not watched succession so i don't know any, i don't read those posts sorry <laughs> that's totally fine that's totally fine neither does neither does my partner who's not watching succession okay so that's see? the same thing yeah it's fair it's fair so i i gotta start with the with the big question which is did do, do you <laughs> is peak tv over and do, do you <laughs> do you look at that and say why why did i decide to become a tv writer now <laughs> Well, it was spectacularly bad timing. There's no question about that. But I don't regret it at all. But right. yeah, I mean, you think about it. I jumped. So I got a development deal with FX in basically November, December of 2019. So for two years, uh, I was making TV shows for them or trying to. And, um, you know, that wasn't a great period either because of the pandemic. Obviously, right. no one was in their offices. People were slow to respond. I mean, on the one side, it was uh, really positive in that the feedback I got would be, oh, just, you know, keep yourself alive. Do a lot of writing. You got this. But on the other hand, it's like operations as usual were not going on at FX, nor were they really going on at the industry. Things were getting backlogged. Uh, so that was a tough start. and. You know, right about that time, well, I, not, not right at that time, but about a year after the pandemic started, you know, you started to see some big changes in the industry. I'm sure you and Julia have covered this already. Um, but, you know, once once um, uh, there was an implosion and and Netflix lost a lot of its stock, right. you know, and, then, and followed by that, you know, the Discovery buys uh, HBO, Warner, and <clears throat> reverses what HBO was trying to do, which under their previous owner was expand rapidly. So that was a real whipsaw. Uh, I think the Netflix one was more of an explosion in the industry because what it did was it just stopped things dead as far as like shelling out new money, new projects. Um, and they were already all places, Netflix, uh, HBO, Hulu, Amazon, everybody was already tending mostly to the stuff that they had in their pipeline. And trying to figure things out, the whole industry was trying to figure things out. And then, you know, then when HBO got bought and, you know, basically the 
was such a whipsaw again, like just rescale back downwards and stop making shows. That was bad. And now you've got a writer strike coming up. So it, it's it's been it's been interesting. I but I don't regret it because like I did a show for uh, FX that didn't get picked up. We've talked about that in the past. And I did a um, I, th- I learned a lot about the this particular deal where it's very common for people when they when they don't have a show picked up and there's you know six or seven months left on their deal it's very accepted for whoever you have a deal with just to they know that it's probably not enough time to get all your ducks in a row so they just let you write um even and they know that it's probably going to be going to sell to somebody else so i wrote a i wrote a comedy and then when the deal expired i was already working on trying to work on a book and i wrote a i think a much well certainly much different uh script i don't know if it's better but it 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 got uh it got some traction it's actually currently you know out there i don't i don't think that um given the situation right now obviously it's going to get picked up but there was good buzz about it there were people who read about you know but nothing happened it's very it's very <laughs> it's very uh you know it's like it's like confirming what you know as somebody who covered the industry 20 for 20 plus years is and not just as a critic but, but you know covering the actual industry it's very very hard even when there's when the, when the business is healthy for something to get picked up um, you factor in that you're like kind of new at it um, and you don't have a track record yet. So, um, and my particular thing is I don't want to be on a, a writing staff. I'm going to run my own show and I, I do my own show. It really, li- you know, you kind of limit, but I knew that getting into it. I just didn't know that the entirety of the, of the business would completely blow up. And uh, that's where we are today. Yeah. Right. I mean, today's, today's the, uh, the official writer struck day. I don't, I don't actually know if they've, uh, walked out yet but i think it's inevitable yeah um it, it is a so there's so much so much there and you're right so much of this is the stuff that julia and i talk about every episode too that netflix moment really was a watershed i i think mm-hmm. though like yeah this is this is just confirming what you already knew about how it is it is actually really hard to get through the development process and and that was before even in peak tv time that was the case and and now you've You've been at it on the other side and, you know, it was always, it may be harder now, but it was always hard to navigate that. And and I think that's something that when, when you had your development deal at FX, like, I don't know what percentage chance anyone thought that a show would actually get made out of that. But I mean, everybody who's been in the business for a while would, would say it's still probably a low chance just because not because of anything other than it's always a low chance, even with, unless you're a superstar, you know, with a development deal. And even then you would be surprised at how low the chance is and even lower. So yeah. it happens. Uh, yeah. And definitely. And it's funny. Cause like I, um, Luckily, I know a lot of people in the business and I don't have to sort of explain it all the time. And I actually don't feel bad about it because I knew I mean, if you take if you take the timing of the deal that I signed with FX, I would say without the pandemic, things as normal, peak TV kind of still going strong. I probably had or anybody would have had about, uh, uh, you know, for me, probably about less than 10 percent or about a 10 percent <laughs> chance of it getting made. Right. I mean, that's just the odds. Like, you know, yeah, it's it's funny to be in rooms and you're talking to executives and know that, you know, people who are insanely more successful in the business than I have been rejected and their stuff is like, nah, we passed on it. Um, I already knew all that. So, but when you get in those halls and you hear it, it, it for me, it flashed back to, you know, to um, Matt Weiner saying that, you know, oh, sure. Everybody loves <laughs> the bad manuscript script now, but it was in my drawer for nine years. 
and he made a joke that like he, even his agents didn't read it. And that has come back to be one of the funniest things, I think, for me, but bitterly funny, I guess, or uh, is that it's really hard to get anybody to read anything. And and then when you do, because it's Hollywood and everything, everything's so fake, you can't be sure that they actually read it. So you're really hope- right. hopeful that that they'll add a lot of specifics that indicate that they did read it. Um, so I'm always happy when I get you know, positive feedback from somebody. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, there, here's these references where they clearly read it and they seem excited about it. Then you feel good. Otherwise, you get somebody who says, oh, no, no, that was really good. And you're just like, hmm, I bet you didn't read it. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I think if I was uh, uh, if I was a little bit if I didn't prep for the jump better, I would be a little bit more worried. But it is in a in a darkly humorous way, the the pandemic followed by the implosion of the industry actually makes me laugh because I couldn't have picked a worse time to do it. But no. Yeah, it's true. But your your point that your chances were not great anyway, just because that's the business and that's how it, that's how it works. And and that's just the way it is. It's good that you've gotten some positive feedback about it. And and you never know. I mean, that's the other the, the flip side of that. That Matt Weiner quote is that it was in the drawer for nine years and then it sold and became one of the most acclaimed TV series of all time. So, yeah, never exactly. say never. Never say never. You have to be you have to have uh, you have to have perspective and. You know, it's there's good things that happened. There's been like there's always so much dead time between things, but um, I'm moving forward with it. And but I think back when I could see it as somebody, you know, covering the industry and then being on the other side, when I could see like, oh, God, now things are getting worse and worse and worse. You know, that was where I was just like, OK, I'm going to just like keep working, adjust my expectations, which were already low. But now I have to pivot to like uh making a decision about like what I should do. And and that's when I said, well, look, everybody else, but and also by the way, I, I have friends in the industry and they're like, well, if you don't have five things going on, you're you you gotta have that. That's how you survive. Hmm. And especially if you if you're not already successful in this medium. And so I was like, okay, well I'll just try I, I, part of it was tr- you know when I was trying stuff that it more a little bit more than a year ago, I was like, do I really want to go back and and do criticism and and will that feel like a failure uh like i didn't make it and then i was going back to doing what i was normally previously doing in my past career and it i was a little worried about that until basically everybody said no, no one cares <laughs> and you know i think you and i maybe have talked about this but it, mm-hmm. it was very funny for me to hear yeah no one really cares they just do your thing and no one's going to judge you and and i've loved it and i really love the experience um at uh at Substack and I really like reconnecting with everybody and also it's like I still in my head know that you know at some point if it doesn't pick up and obviously having a writer strike doesn't make you super confident um if it doesn't pick up and if it, if something doesn't happen with writing a novel which by the way has its own issues and the lag time on that is enormous really enormous mm-hmm. um and you have all you know you're you're just I think the benefit that I have in that area is that I I'm not cowed by a blank screen. So I write frequently. Um, but I think that, uh, I think that knowing that you should have other, other irons in the fire is like really important. And so I pivoted to writing a book and I'm doing the Substack thing. But I know that at some point I'll probably have to, you know, go out and uh, get a job. It's funny. Cause I've talked to people who know me and they're like, well, what, what would you do? Would you go back and be a TV critic full time? I'm like, 
No, because I'm actually a TV critic kind of like three quarters time right now or half time as I'm writing. And why would I go do something with that for somebody else when I'm I'm happy doing it out of my terms right now? Right. Um, and I would I had a great conversation over the weekend with people, you know, but I won't drop their names. But um, where it was just everybody was really confident in like, yeah, I've had a, I had a good run. I had a good career. I'm happy in my life. And I would just like instead of going back into journalism or or some other kind of writing, I would do something different. And for me, I've always said that as soon as I left the business, this is like I've put enough money aside to sort of get through rough times. And then if I have to get a job, which, you know, at some point, given that we have a writer's strike coming up, I probably will. Uh, I'm fine with that. Like I'll make I'll learn how to make bread. I'll make some wine. I'll do whatever I, I could do. You know, I could be a Walmart greeter and be happy. So, <laughs> you know, it's just like finding something that uh, is going to get you by financially. You 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 joked a little bit at the beginning about existentialism and wine. And, and but that's really true. Right. Like if you're happy and you're a, able to sort of like find a, a, a passion project, that's a one of five things that you do that brings some income in, then good. Like if, if that if you're good with that, if you can get your head around that mentally, then uh, then I think you're OK. And that's kind of where I am now. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've got like five or six jobs, uh, yeah, maybe eight, right. maybe nine. Right. I mean, but who's counting? And that's just <laughs> that's how it goes. And I, I think, yeah, as, as we were chronicling your, you know, your TV critic life week in, week out mm-hmm. uh, on the TV Talk Machine podcast. And one of the things that is clear is like you can't regret it's impossible for you, even in the circumstances you ended up walking into with the pandemic and the the end of, of the peak TV era. Um, you're burned out. So mm-hmm. you, that, that, that decision to step away from the Hollywood reporter and from getting on the, the hamster wheel and watching lots of TV and writing about it, like you had to do that. that. There was, regardless of what happened next, you had to get off the, off the wheel. So definitely. I, I, I think I was so burned out at that time. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, you know, I write a lot about happiness. I talk a lot about that. And it's like, you have to make, and now, you know, you have kids in college, I have kids in college, and I try to talk to them about choosing something that's going to make you happy, because if you feel like you're miserable going to work, even you just won't like it. And so I was going to make the jump probably out of uh, the comfort zone at some point. Anyway, I'm just really happy that this, you know, the TV writing gig came along. Um, but yeah, I was, you, you could hear it. Like, it was just, oh, yeah. it's such a, it's such a grind. I mean, we talk about peak tv and that's a great question are we at the end of it i think we might be and we could talk more about that but um you know at some point you not being able to watch everything and keep up with everything and then you're working not like it's hard work i'm not gonna beat that drum but it's consistent and you're putting a lot of effort into it six days a week because you have to work sundays it's just at some point you're just like And, and, and i ran into so many people and you know this from our 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 podcast where you would say oh i love show x and they're like i don't even know what you're talking about (laughs) <laughs> yep never heard of it and it's like well, it's one it. of the great shows it's patriot it's it's counterpart <laughs> right. it's like yeah. it's the a word and you're like I, I i don't know what that that show is at all because it's so fractured that well also and this gets into actually very much like the topic of of what downstream is which is i could also see during your your period at thr that you were very interested in doing the you know, not only the kind of failure analysis, but understanding sort of where the whole medium was going and, mm-hmm. and where, where you know, the changes that were wrought by streaming. And it was also clear that, you know, your 
you, your your bosses at THR just wanted you to write more TV reviews, and <laughs> and and every time you would try to throw something else out there, like, well, what if we focus it more on Discovery because nobody even knows what shows are on? They'd be like, no just write reviews, you know, write faster mule is essentially what was going on there. And so yes. I could see, I could see what the stuff you were interested in is not what your bosses wanted to write, but that was really interesting stuff. And that a lot of that is what Julia and I talk about now, which is all those changes that have been caused by streaming and how the whole, whole business is changing. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's this question of like, what use is a, a, a single review of a TV show in a world where even two TV critics full time can't actually cover all the TV output. Absolutely. And, and I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And then le- trying to lean into covering, you know, I mean, you and I were at the forefront of sort of covering the streaming wars, which we said back then. Now the whole war is like, everybody's, you know, collapsed. It's, it's, it's like a, everybody wants a ceasefire. There's so much damage on each side. Uh, you know, back then it was like Apple wasn't even in the game and, yeah. and, and Disney wasn't in the game and we, they were all coming aboard. And we we talked about all the scenarios that could happen if there was this flush of uh, streaming that essentially replaced, you know, in some capacity, all the sh- all the channels that you were getting on your uh, on your cable bill. And what would that mean? You've just flipped the uh, you flipped the, the 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 game a little bit and then how does that work for the industry? I think that's what they're struggling with right now. Literally when they're going to try to hammer out this new writers uh, deal, they're going to have to like both sides are going to have to sort of come to it. Like everybody wanted streaming. You can't stop technology. It only goes one way. Yeah. And now you have it, but it, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It kind of ruined the industry profit wise. So everybody has to re uh, reimagine where it's going. And right. I think that's, that's the struggle that they're in today, but we were writing about that before. I guess I don't blame THR at the past for not wanting to do that because they were trying to avert their eyes to something as an industry magazine that like, oh, well, we probably shouldn't talk about the death, <laughs> the death of the industry. Maybe we should just talk about what's new and what's fun. Well, no, nobody, when, when all that money is being spent on 500 plus scripted TV shows, nobody mm-hmm. really wants to hear that it's untenable. Right. Right. And that and that this is all just everybody's got Netflix envy. So they're paying money to try and become Netflix because when the music stops, if they're not there, their business is sort of has fallen apart. But now we're in this era where it's sort of like who's going to buy who. And even Netflix is like they've got an ad tier. Now, remember, I mean, those (laughs) those are the days when it was like, can you imagine back in those days (laughs) suggesting, oh, yeah, pretty soon Netflix is going to have a cut rate tier that's just got ads in it there. It's inevitable they're going to do that. And yet, you know, very rapidly after they had that one bad quarter, um, they said, oh, yes, we are doing that. And they've done it and they've been <laughs> successful at it. That's the yeah. amazing thing. They've been very well, successful. Julia and I, I think, haven't talked about this yet because she's been gone since this happened. But not only is that ad tier working, but like that ad tier is making more money for them than their low end no ad tier. It makes more money per person, which means they're going to raise the prices on the no ad tier and they've given new like now you can watch two at a time on the ad tier and it's a 1080 hd instead of a 720 hd like they're adding features to it because it's so successful like that is that is mind-blowing if you went back in time and told us that five years ago oh yeah i mean we were and we were laughing at like peacock like who's gonna with all of us out here and and i you know we were both saying who's gonna pay for a the, a low level NBC when you have all these other streaming services and they're still struggling, but like 
people were paying for that now and that's yep. and people are paying for their for their ad supported level and i think it's well you factor that into the economy and things that have happened and uh you know there's been an i mean not that the, the economy didn't tank but it hasn't been doing great so people are saying well look i'm gonna i'll i'll pay less for the things that i like mm-hmm. um as long as i don't have to pay you know 25 bucks a month or whatever it is 22 bucks or if i don't or i'm not going to pay a year uh of disney in advance i'm going to just wait and see so that's where we are now yeah everything really changing in that uh john landgraf uh your your former boss basically <laughs> former boss yeah uh, he was the mayor of television always did his thing about the peak tv and it does it does really feel like you know that was the the maximum number of scripted series and and um you're right with a writer strike there's a whole other factor here which is that the production is going too slow and and the uh the stuff that's already scripted is going to you know maybe be shot but then that's going to be it for a while assuming that the strike goes for a while and that is going to change the equation too um certainly can't help that warner brothers was was uh was essentially bought by uh a reality tv guy basically (laughs) yes Um, i I keep telling people and and julia and i've talked about this a little bit uh somebody was asking me the other day why is it that you know how how is it that discovery plus survived and they're only merging some of that stuff into hbo max which is going to become max Max. Uh, wow. I thought of you when that was announced, by the uh, way. I yeah. thought, think of all the laughter that oh, we would have done on a podcast about <laughs> that one. But like, how how is Discovery Plus still there and all that? And I said, well, you know, where whereas there are all these brutal cuts at, at Warner Brothers and HBO. And I said, you got to understand, I, I really do believe that culturally part of this is that it's the Discovery people who won, quote unquote, won. And are in charge, and David Zaslav is in charge, and I think there's some ego there. Where the, some of the stuff they brought over from Discovery, they're like, "No, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill my baby. I'm gonna keep it alive, <laughs> even though that maybe makes no sense, or I'm gonna rationalize it away." And I do think that that's part of it. Is that is that you know, it's the Discovery people who are running Warner Brothers, and they're gonna run it with that sensibility, and maybe that'll work for them. Although I'm really skeptical of that, but you know maybe oh yeah it, i think it's it, you know it, the period that we're entering in uh is fascinating i mean it's not so fascinating from my perspective because you know i'm obviously now it's just like okay what the hell is going to get made in the next two or three years but from just from recovering the industry perspective if you go back and think about it because you know you mentioned Landgraf, he did he's the one who coined uh peak tv he called it and you know if you go back to 2022 the it, the rate of new show productions was was going to eclipse an all-time high. And right about the six-month period of 2022, it got there. And then from the backside of 2022 to where we are now, it collapsed. Yeah. And the stuff that doesn't get written about much, but the stuff that I know and hear is that people whose show whose ideas were picked up, and that doesn't mean it show was made, but but it's like saying, yes, we we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna Sometimes it doesn't even announced yet, but they'll say we're we're picking this up, um, and then they start you know you start looking for a writing staff or you start you know bouncing ideas off of the outlet about who you might want for casting and those kind of things. A lot of those deals just got reneged on. They just said no, yeah. that's over. You know, it's like and people think about it like for uh, you know it's like having a NFL contract where you don't have a guaranteed contract. Ah, you know, it's like you hurt your knee and then it's like yeah, we're gonna give you an injury settlement. And see ya. And and you don't get the $25 million you signed for. You get the million dollar 
knee injury sign out. Yeah. So that's what's happening. You get the buyout. And that's what's happening a lot in the industry right now. It's freaking people out because there's no movement upwards. There's a small, there, you know, the future is going to be smaller writing rooms. So fewer jobs, but like in this period when there was this downsizing where you saw, uh, where you saw Netflix say, okay, we're going to turn the spigot off for a while. And maybe we'll just, be, you know, have some of these countries that we have these deals with. We will have all those foreign shows. I'm going to write something about all those shows pretty soon on, on my Substack. But the, uh, you know, and then HBO, which was told to ramp up production to like 30 shows from like 18 and then told, no, no, kill all that. You have a lot of people out there who got promises pulled from them and more and more are getting that now that the writer strike is coming. I, I was on the verge of signing with this. uh agency and you know which was kind of late in the game at that point and i was like okay this is probably work i could see the writing on the wall as far as the industry going downward i was like i don't you know i guess this will help you know I, i'm not down there to hustle everything around anymore and you know things were moving along just fine and then uh, i was on a call with them and they're like look man things are so this is before the hbo problems and they just said they you know if you're in the agent if you're an agent happening way way before because they don't make money unless you make money so they're not taking you on if there's not going to be any money in the future so they just very politely said look we're getting rid of people we're actually not adding people now because we we see what's happening and so like if you're you know people who have made shows repeatedly they're always going to be represented but people who are on that lower fringe are just starting or moving up um and, and are being accepted because they were like in a in a room and they were a junior writer uh, and they had some momentum and they may, you know, go to a better show or, 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 or make their own show. A lot of those deals never happen. So a lot, representation has been uh, impacted. And so you they knew it's like it was like a canary in the coal mine. They The agents knew that the whole industry was going to implode way before I think the general public knew. Yeah. Talking about your Substack, one of the things that I really have appreciated over the last year in watching it is it's yours, right? You don't have a mm-hmm. boss saying, Tim, this is what you need to write. You right. literally, it's just like, I'm going to write about what I want. So you give a lot of shows the two episode test where you're mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll watch two episodes because we all know, we all know pilots hard to do, but the real, the real standard is episode two. Can you, yes. can you close the deal in episode two or does it all, is it just a pilot? That then is not a good show. And then also you've got your box set where you're looking at things episode by episode. And then, you know, whatever strikes your fancy. How has that been as somebody who's got a long history in journalism, dating back to even before you were a TV critic, when you were a a music critic? How is it different? You know, how, how has it been to not have any of the sort of like other people defining what your role is and you're just, you know, essentially it's a blank slate that you've spent a year sort of figuring out what works and what doesn't. But like in the end, it's what you want to do. That is what happens on that Substack. Yeah. And that's, and that's great. I mean, I went from a position of like being at both places at the Chronicle and at the, uh, the later years of the Chronicle and the early years at, at THR when no one told me anything, you know, I was just, I was free to do whatever I wanted. And but, you know, things change, right? Like it's it just as when you're first starting in, in a merger between the Examiner and Chronicle, there's a lot of editors involved. And just as later when, you know, Janice Minton left the uh, THR and there were other editors taking over, then more people are getting in your business. And so, yeah, I was very unhappy about like, you know, being able to use my experience and seeing the industry and saying, 
look, this is this is this is not how the world works. And we need to change how we're how we're reviewing shows, how we're approaching things, because the audience is totally drowning, something I've mentioned all the time in my on my Substack. And for them to say, no, that's just we want to do business as usual. It's very frustrating. So now it's very liberating to be able to do, you know, anything I want and and also sort of like put the foot on the gas and off the gas, depending on how my fiction writing is doing. Um, and also just like I've noticed that back in the day of if you take Twitter out of the equation, kind of back when people were using the term blogging kind of loosely, what made blogging so fun is you were doing whatever you wanted. And if you had a personality that emerged, people would kind of rally around you and say, I like this person. I like their I like their writing style. I like their sense of humor. But I also kind of like what's their, them as a person and what's going on in their lives because I get to know them a little bit more rather than just, you know, it's a byline. And I think that's very much helping the Substack uh, ecosystem is people are discovering writers there. Um, they're finding writers that they already knew and getting to know them, you know, personally uh, a little better because a lot of those personal stories are what keep people around and, and makes them want to subscribe for a year. But yeah, I, I like being able to to change it up because also, you know, if I was trying to figure out where I was going or what I wanted to do next at THR, I was always on that treadmill where you were doing four, you know, four columns a week and watching, you know, just, oh my God, just like 40, 50, 60 hours of TV where you just, you're just drowning and you're just like, you're not even absorbing it at some point. So you're probably being less effective as a, as a critic. So I don't. I don't have that anymore now. And um, after kind of doing it for a year, I've kind of figured out what I like and what I don't like. Mm. And it's, it, it's, it's, I think it's working better um, as a side business and as a, as a something that I enjoy doing on the writing side more. So yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. It's that having that decision to write whatever you want is, is very freeing. And it looks like to me that you, if, if this works anything like it does for me, you're also giving yourself permission. The, the Substack existing gives you permission. I know that it's also something you need to, you, you do need to write for it. People are, are paying. And if they, mm-hmm. if they don't pay, they don't get those, those posts, but you can use that as a, uh, as sort of like, I don't know, a, uh, a motivation to say, Oh, I'm going to explore this thing. I'm going to, for me as a, tech person it's like i'm gonna buy this piece of piece of software this piece of hardware i'm gonna explore i'm gonna see where it takes me maybe it'll interest me maybe it won't i i get that sense from the Substack that you have this ability to say oh i'm gonna try out these you know these shows and see what they are and it it gives you a reason to to watch them you're not just watching them idly you you sort of got a motivator but it's not the same as back in the day where it would be like, well, I'm going to write a full on review. It's more like exploratory of like, I checked this out. It wasn't for me. And that's all you need to say. And then other stuff clicks with you and you're like, ah, this is interesting. I'm going to follow this. Absolutely. That, that to me is the the most fun part about the, and revelatory part about doing this now. And, and uh, you know, it's also, it's more, you know, being on the other side of it where, yeah, I'm still a critic and I'm still doing this stuff, but, I'm also just a viewer of television. I, there's a, tons of shows I've never even heard of where I'm like, well, thank God I don't have to review that or have to have known that that existed. I'm constantly stunned that something's in their second season. It makes me laugh. Yeah. Uh, you know, that I never heard of until yesterday. Uh, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that I've part of the two episode tests came out of this was that like, if and I notice it now, if when I do go online and I look at friends or peers who are still writing, one of the things I think like, oh, I don't, this doesn't work for me anymore. I'm reading this review that 
you know, friends or peers have done. I'm like, you know, you've got eight episodes in advance. And, you know, it's not just the cliche of, oh, it gets better on the fourth episode, but you watched all eight before you did the review. And it, it's somewhere in the machinations of your brain. It changed uh, your review yes. somehow was changed by seeing those extra episodes. If it's just me and you, Jason, and we're like, episode one, put it on. If it doesn't hook you, boop, gone, gone, you know, right. That's just gone. And if you can make it to, and as you said, pilots are hard. So if you're forgiving and you're like, well, look, there was enough in that first episode to not go right, that there was enough to make me come back. Then you're not in a hurry. You come back maybe like 10 days later, or two weeks later, and you watch that second episode. It might even be on the third. Then you watch the second episode and you just think, nah, didn't yeah. nail it. Yeah, I'm out. Right. So you just, you just bail. And, uh, you know, for me, well, one of those, uh, and I like, I like doing that, but, um, you, you come across shows where just being able to give up, that's what a normal person watching television does. <laughs> so you just give up and you don't watch eight. No. And, you know, great expectations on FX, right? I was actually talking to the FX guys recently. Uh, and like, great expectations. Uh, she's great. The show's not. And so, you know, and I, you know, I, I watched two and I wasn't going to watch it again. So, mm-hmm. or, or if I do, I'll watch it a year from now. Literally has no pull for me to want to watch more of it. Yeah. I think this is the, yeah, it always killed me when there was the, oh, it really gets good by episode seven. So, <laughs> right. well, wait a second. Yeah. Why why am I watching the first six episodes and why am I still there for episode seven? And do I do I even trust you when you say something like that? Right. Like <laughs> yeah. that's that's so bizarre. Like and you think that I've got and, and it really gets good by episode seven. Does it get so good that I have to sit through episodes one through six to get there? Because, you know, it better be really good in episode seven because I've thrown in six episodes to get there. And like, yes. it's a true, I get, I, I don't doubt it, but in these times of confusion, yes, right, Mark, times of confusion. <laughs> yes. uh, they like, who does that? Right. And I, I do wonder, I, I appreciate that most critics will say I've watched the first six episodes or something mm-hmm. like that when they review it. And, and I look watching the first six episodes as a critic is better than only watching the pilot or the first two, right? You do get a better sense of of that Mm -hmm. as a critic, but it's that other part, which is like, well, it also changes your perception of it. And, you know, as a, as a viewer, I don't get to, I'm not going to go to episode six if, if you can't carry me there. And exactly. And, and, and nor, I mean, sometimes it's, I've, I very rarely have access to advanced screeners, but I do from time to time. And, I, like for the shows that I've covered, like for podcasting, I try to, I don't go ahead. I like try to watch the episode. And then if I'm going to record a podcast, then we record it. I don't yes, watch smart. 10 episodes, know what's going to happen in the season. And then, cause it's like, that's not how people experience it. They experience it. You know, did episode one hook me? How did episode two do? And if, if you're like, well, yeah, the first five are boring, but then it's like, well, either I can skip it or forget it for most people. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and it, season two is really good. Season one isn't very isn't very good. Well, guess what? I'm not going to watch season one then. Oh, but you have yeah. to. No, I don't have to. <laughs> no, I don't. Actually, yeah, I love it. It's it's and it's also I love what you said earlier about trust and, and do I trust them be, mm. about the seventh episode because that made me laugh because it it recalls kind of the you know the the trope the joke the ongoing joke about the narrator or the using the narrator voice where it really gets better on 
episode seven. It doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you've committed, you're kind of pissed off by then. You're like, well, wait a minute. It didn't actually. How did you see it get better? Because I don't. I watched all seven because you said to get to seven, and it did not get better. And that's and that's frustrating. That's why I think that like using the two episode test, I think, is a little bit more of a truism because I can tell people, look, I'm going to watch more of it, or I'm not going to watch more of it, and you're on your own. You can do what you want, but here's my impressions, and I'm not going to wait until the seventh, and I'm going to move on. Uh, and then yeah. beyond that, the thing that you're saying is what I love to do is just like just watch one. Like, um, you know, I watched Drops of God the other day uh, and, and a I show was like, oh. I had never heard of. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to just get this one episode in and just watch this. And then I have a friend who's a wine guy. and He's like, well, wait, let me wait till I get back and I'll watch that. Or your or my partner will see something and say, yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, I want to watch that episode. You know, she wanted to watch The Diplomat. So I was like, OK, I'll, I'll wait on it then. Once again, that's an Apple TV show, too, that I've never heard of, which is amazing. Yeah, again, that, it's French. Yeah. I get it. French and, jo- and Japanese. Japanese. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I hadn't even heard of it because, you know, peak TV, that's, it's just, that's what it's, happens. Peak, and, you know, that is I, I, would, I just wanted to circle back on the peak TV thing again in case we, do, we don't get there. Just to re- remind this thing, if you finish this thought about John Langraff, back when Langraff was talking about who is going to survive peak tv this is this is when we were we didn't even know we hadn't got anywhere near the top of the mountain yet <clears throat> and everybody was like well i mean most critics had said well i have to make a, a little caveat in my year analyst saying i wasn't able to watch everything for the first time in my career as a critic i couldn't technically watch most of the shows i, I well, now i can't even get like 55 percent or 60 percent there's so many um before we had even got there he was just said the future is going to stay a- about branding so if you have a, a brand that works, that will keep you afloat in this <clears throat> times of confusion, right? <clears throat> this over this onslaught of shows, if you have a brand that will keep you alive. Okay, now look what's happened in 2022 and 2023. FX no longer has its name on Hulu, where it used to have a little thing that said FX on Hulu. Right. Doesn't have that. It, you have to go under hubs, which a return joke to the back to the uh, uh, TV talk machine. It was like when I was at the, when I was at the Hollywood reporter and you, and I, and you had to click on sites sites yeah. on, on the THR site, you had to click on sites to find my, uh, my column. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Right. So I was like, what, how do you bury a brand you own? Right. Disney owns Hulu, Disney owns FX. How do you, how do you bury this great brand? of fx under hubs and now look what uh they did with hbo max they chose max over hbo it's astonishingly stupid so people are making really bad decisions i'll say that (laughs) yeah what else is new right yeah it's true well i mean there's a reason though it was it was a failure analysis that we spent a lot of time on failure analysis i bring that up from time to time on this podcast too it's like you know as tim used to say (laughs) failure analysis what went wrong here right whether it's (laughs) business-wise or creatively what went wrong here um one of the things before we go i've got uh, a thing we like to do here on this podcast is something we call sports corner (laughs) a lot of going on in the world of sports (laughs) right now in terms of, uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but the whole thing about like regional sports networks going bankrupt and like, we're, it's that whole thing of like, how do I as a sports fan 
consume the sports that I want to. And it's getting harder and harder. And I, I feel like it will get easier eventually, but we're in for a rough few years here. And I bring this up because a frequent thing that would happen on our old podcast is we would mention the one of the best shows of the last decade on television, the Golden State Warriors. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who had a real uh, great episode on sunday night it's <laughs> so up against hbo or it was a sunday afternoon i guess it was a yeah. little before hbo lead into succession yes uh that was a heck of an episode anyway oh my god yes um I, I wanted to mention the warriors here because it was unclear until sunday whether they would be playing more basketball games in the nba playoffs but we've we've exited the period where your local tv can cover the playoffs right now we enter where it's split and it's split among multiple channels. It's on ESPN. It's on ABC. And it's on TNT. <laughs> right. And I just wanted to share this because this is one of those hilarious moments where I realize, oh, I have Fubo TV. I don't get <laughs> TNT. And, and so as a Warriors fan, or at least a, you know, fake Warriors fan who watches them in the playoffs. Right. I am going to have to buy a different streaming service essentially if i want to watch the warriors game one against the lakers because my streaming service doesn't have that channel yes that is oh to be a sports fan oh it's these are these are such bad times and then it's also like you put that into the equation of what people can afford when the economy is tanked and you know interest rates are up and whatnot it's like uh because i i gotta you know i have um YouTube TV and right. they raised their prices and I was like, do I really? They do have TNT though. Well, yeah, they do have TNT. So yeah, and I was like, do I really want this? And and you know, it's uh, and NBC Sports um, has not, you know, the local Warriors thing has not, to my knowledge, yet uh, died or, or hopefully it's no, not no. going to die as a regional sports network. No, they're doing they're doing pretty well, but no, it's that yeah, it's that idea that there's no way for you to just say, "Hey, uh, can I give you money and I can watch the Warriors?" And the answer is, I know, not really. No. I mean, yes, you can get any over over the top uh, thing like Fubo or or YouTube TV, and you can get as long as they've got the the Warriors local channel, that'll get you almost everything. But even then, sometimes there's a game on TNT. <laughs> and so you better have the, uh, one of those that has TNT as well. And this is true with all these sports, but it's just, I was thinking of you because we talk about the warriors and I realized I've reached that point where I'm probably going to have to buy like sling for yes. a month just for one channel because oh that's, and I do that in the fall for the baseball playoffs too. In October I get sling because TPS has baseball playoff games and oh, it's just, God, you know, right. This is it's where just- we are. Yeah, you have to buy that because if the because the that what was as you said a thrilling episode on Sunday, Game Seven in Sacramento, down you know away, playing you know away even though it's only a bus ride away, it's still they Warriors had a terrible you know on the road record. What a what a fantastic game! So you can't give up on them now. You got to buy Sling or whatever you're gonna do. I know. Maybe I'll try uh, YouTube TV just because I want to try it. It's been a while since I used it just to see how it compares. They're they're putting the quad box in over there, which. People who listen to some of my other podcasts will know I'm a big enthusiast for sports of being able to put up multiple sporting events oh, yeah. at one time. And uh-huh. since they got um, they got NFL Sunday ticket for the fall. And right. so YouTube is investing in multi-screen tech now because they know that's going to be a use of it, right? As you put up two, three, four up on your on your big TV and you've got multiple games going on. And Fubo does that already, which I love. But I haven't uh, – I, I, I don't know if it's 
available to everybody yet on YouTube TV, but it's, I know it's coming. So I don't know. Maybe I'll try that out. Man, these are times of confusion. They are. Still. They are. How to watch, what to watch. We don't know. We don't know what shows are on. Uh, <laughs> we don't know where they are or how to get them or who we have to pay for them. There's an Apple TV show you don't even know there's about. An Apple, uh, there's a, so oh, I, I told Julia before, there was an Apple uh, movie, <laughs> Apple TV Plus released movie that got nominated for an Oscar. And I was like, <laughs> I've never heard of that movie. So... Uh, it happens. I, I, you know, oh, even though yeah. I'm in the in the Apple TV app, I have an Apple TV box, and I, yet I still don't know. And that, I mean, as we as we wrap it up here, the times of confusion does extend to the stuff like the metadata. We talked a lot on TVTM about like JustWatch.com, which actually tells you where everything is, which is great. But like on my box, I can't really get that. I I search on the Apple TV, but like Netflix doesn't want to play with Apple. And so there's stuff that's missing. (laughs) Or if I watch it on Netflix, like I watch the John Mulaney uh, stand-up special, but uh, Apple TV doesn't know that because it doesn't talk to Netflix because Netflix doesn't want to give Apple its data. (laughs) And it's just so frustrating. And so I forget when things are on Netflix because Apple (laughs) Apple's TV app is actually pretty good, but Netflix won't play ball. Uh, It's confusion. Yeah. Times of confusion. What you're saying basically is that nothing has really changed since the last time we were doing our podcast. Exactly. It's it's well, <laughs> except that they're making fewer TV shows and it's harder to be a writer. Yes, but but you know, you're you're still essential there for uh, trying to figure out who's doing what and where. You still need to find it, and I think we're both essential. People need to listen to your podcast about what's happening in in, in the, all of this stuff with julia and 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 you know maybe someone would want to come over to my stuff stack and find out like what's going on in in tv world and what's good and, and movies too so absolutely we're still, we're, still, and, we're still viable and that's why you should check out timgoodman.substack.com I'm plugging it again <laughs> plugging Look it again that. that was savvy and <laughs> and uh we will be back uh, Julia and uh, Julia will be back in fact from her her world travels in a couple of weeks uh, but send us feedback downstreamfeedback.com we love getting your letters uh, love to your mothers still love doing to your it. mothers great, great talking to you yeah uh, thanks Tim and thanks everybody out there we'll be back in a couple of weeks bye <laughs> <laughs>